hard service, but uh, I am glad to be able to say that in the uh, family shared time, my dad was able to share the gospel with uh, my family, who most of them do not know the Lord. And so we are so grateful for that. So thank you for your prayers for us. I am excited to introduce uh, Gabriel here, uh, but hold on, um, because Gabriel is planting a church in our region of churches in Sovereign Grace. So our region ha- is really is an exciting time for our region. In the next two years, uh, our five churches will, Lord willing, plant three churches. Um, so that's a significant uh, move for our region to be able to plant three churches out of five. And so Gabe is one of those church plants that's happening right now. And so there are different ways you can start a church. Uh, one of the churches in our area, and our region's really doing it in all three different ways. So one of our churches, uh, the one in Harrisburg, where Ken Mellinger is from, many of you know him, they are planting out about 100 people to start a new church. And so that's not really, in my mind, that, I don't call that a church plant. I call that a church plop, because you're just taking 100 people and you're like, there you go, and you got a new church. Um, the church in Indiana is hoping to plant a church in a couple, uh, in two years, and they'll do it by starting this a kind of feeder group of 20 or 30 people, and uh, with that, try to, you know, start something new. And that's, in my mind, what a traditional church plant looks like. Um, but actually, a true traditional church plant looks like what Gabriel do, is doing, which is more like a parachuting in behind enemy lines. And so Gabriel was a pastor at one of our churches in the Philadelphia area, and had a growing calling from the Lord, since a growing calling from the Lord, to plant a church in his hometown area of Warren, PA. And so him and his wife uh, very bravely have up and moved and sold their possessions, left a a good job uh, to just go to Warren, PA, uh, get a job there, and start a Bible study in their home, and just slowly try to build, largely through unbelievers, uh, coming to faith in the Lord, uh, a church there in Warren, PA. And so that's a slow process. And it's in a, a town that is, uh, what's Warren, PA? 20,000? 9,000. Cut that in half. 9,000 people. Um, and so it's it's not this hot and upcoming area with these, you know, big tech jobs or anything like that. You know, this is shrinking Warren, PA, um, where people are not loving to go, uh, but people live there and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about Gabriel, is that he has a heart for these people, and he has faith to go, and him and his wife are willing to make the sacrifices to make it happen. And so our region is partnering with them by providing resources for them, by trying to continually come behind them. Uh, Bert is helping to coach them. Uh, we're going to have guys coming in, hopefully, to, to come in and, and support the church plant at times. Uh, but part of my burden is to have him come in and share the word and preach so that you can hear from him. You can know what's going on in the region, but also so that you can be praying for him. And when you're praying for him, you know him. You've heard from him. You've seen his heart. Uh, you have a face to go with him. Uh, and so I want us to be partnered with them in many ways. And so this is one way we can do that. So, Gabriel, will you come up and share God's word with us, please? Oh, what a privilege it is to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, as Jace mentioned, I'm, I'm uh, returning back to the, the county I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, to do this church plant. 
It has definitely been an exercise of faith for me and my family. Uh, as you know, typically in Sovereign Grace, we, we're sending out a team to go plant, and that's just not the case uh, for us. We are we are moved back into Warren. We just got back into the area uh, after completing the pastor's college last uh, fall. So we moved back to Warren in June and have just been connecting with the community again, building relationships, getting to meet our neighbors. And so this is this is uh, going to be a long-term work. This will probably not happen overnight. Uh, this is going to be time of faithful building those relational connections and then uh, just continue to see how God grows it. So it's been growing our faith as we've served in this area. But we've just had some uh, neat experiences in the, the growth as we've begun to do this plant. Uh, in September of last year, we started a small group Bible study in our home and uh, started out very small. And we just continued to make connections to different neighbors and inviting them in. And so that uh, Bible studies began growing a bit. And so that's just exciting to see. Um, thankful for my wife, who has been doing a lot in the community, just connecting with different ladies in Warren and uh, being using the talents that God has given her just to, to network with these women and just to invite them in to the work that we're doing. So very grateful for what God is doing. And uh, this may be a very long-term work in, in getting this church plant up and going. But if you would like to stay up to date on what God is doing in Warren and how you can be praying for us, um, over in the uh, next door here, on the, the resource table, I have some copies of our newsletter. We do a newsletter about every two months just to give some updates saying, here's what's going on for us and here's some ways we'd appreciate prayer. And so if you'd be interested in receiving that, uh, my email address is on there. I also have some cards over there that you can, you can take. Uh, just shoot me an email and say, hey, I would love to be kept up to date on what's going on in Warren. Just add me to that, that email list and we'll be sure to get you those updates. No. So in church planting, there's a lot of challenges that come with church planting. But one of the unique challenges no one warned me about was the unique challenge of naming your church. So we are, we are Shepherd's Cross Church of Warren, Pennsylvania. But that name didn't just uh, happen overnight. That took some time. It, it took some thought of what do you call your, your new church? And the reason for that is because names are very significant. They're your introduction to people who don't know who you are. They say something about you. And it's not always easy to land on a name that you feel like captures who you are and what you're, what you're wanting to do, what you're calling people into. So as I was researching different church names, I ran across some, some interesting ones that I'd like to share with you. Um, Laboratory Church of God. Sounds like an experimental church plant there. Boring United Methodist Church. You know, at least you can appreciate their honesty there, right? You're going to be bored to tears, but hey, come worship with us. Run for Your Life International Chapel. I can't decide if that's an invitation or a threat, um, but it's, it's interesting. Or Little Hope Baptist Church. And this one's my favorite. The Greater Macedonia Fire Baptized Holiness Church of God of the Americas. You, you know they're not getting a lot of people invited in because who's going to be like, oh, you need to come to my church. Oh, where do you go? Greater Macedonia Fire Baptized Holiness Church of God of the Americas. It's great. We've got a great youth group. Come on out and check us out. So as I was contemplating, who, who do we want to be? Who do we want our identity to be as a church plant in Warren? And the image that kept coming back to me, uh, or the, 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 uh, the, the concern that kept coming back to me again and again 
was seeing the distance that people felt between them and God. What would a holy and righteous and loving God want to do with me? How does he relate to my broken, sin-sick life? What is, the, what is the connection between me and God? And the picture that I kept coming back to again and again in Scripture was the image of God as our shepherd, as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. This, uh, this reference is all throughout Scripture. We see it the first time in Genesis 48:15, when the man Jacob, now called Israel, he's on his deathbed. He knows he's, he's about to pass away. And so he calls his 12 sons to him and he blesses them. He passes on the covenantal blessing to them. And this is how he refers to God. He says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Speaks to God's faithfulness and his loving care for Jacob. We see the the same image used all throughout the Psalms, most famous of which is Psalm 23, which talks about the Lord being my shepherd, I shall not want. Talks about the care and the love God has for his people. And in the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah has been talking about the judgment that God has brought on Israel, in chapter 40 begins Israel's hope of the redemption that's coming. And he paints a a new picture of what the future holds for Israel. And in, in verse 10 of chapter 40, this is the picture that he gives for us. He says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So when the scriptures talk about our closeness to God, it talks about it in the picture of a shepherd. And one of the most beautiful passages that that highlights this picture is found in Ezekiel 34. So turn with me there this morning. This will be our, our text for this morning. To give you a little bit of context for this chapter, the book of Ezekiel is written by a young priest in training during the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Babylon had come in and already began invading the northern kingdom of Judah. It had taken many of its people as captives, and eventually it would come in and destroy Jerusalem and the temple and would take the rest of them captive. Um, But this is before the destruction of the temple, Ezekiel is that first wave of exiles that have been taken into captivity. And now he's sitting in his internment camp, sitting by the river, just broken man. And God appears to him and explains to him what's going on. The Lord explains that it's because of the idolatry of Israel that God has brought judgment on them. They have broken their covenant with God. And so he is dealing with their sin. And again and again, this phrase comes up as he explains the hardship and the the destruction that's coming on them. He keeps giving this explanation for why. He says, then they will know that I am the Lord. The Lord is reminding them of the covenant that he had made with them. I am their Lord. They have forgotten this truth. And so I am bringing judgment on them that they might be reminded of how far they have fallen. And then Ezekiel has a vision of the Spirit of the Lord departing from the temple, the symbol of God's presence among his people. The Spirit departs and it heads into captivity with his people. And so the the book of Ezekiel up to this point has been this picture of judgment and God's harsh dealing with the sin of Israel. But in Ezekiel 34, we start to turn a corner 
And we see the promise of redemption that God is offering to Israel. And in this promise of redemption, we see God painted as a good shepherd. And what makes him such a good shepherd? As we'll see in this chapter, the goodness of the shepherd is evidenced by how he draws near to his sheep in their brokenness. It is God drawing near to us in the brokenness of our sin-sick lives that shows how truly good he is. So let's look at this chapter together. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My shepherds were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains. And on every high hill... My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land, and they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and a drink of the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. 
And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of the yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word this morning as we reflect on the goodness of your nature, of the care and the love that you have, and the willingness to draw near to us in our brokenness. Lord, I pray that you minister to us this morning through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter begins with a rebuke to the shepherds of Israel. Now, shepherd here is used to speak of the leaders of Israel, the civil and religious leaders who were in charge of leading the people of God. This was actually a fairly common way to reference to leaders in the ancient Near East. It was a, a common reference to kings. And the reason for that was because of the character and nature of the work of shepherding. So we often have a, a wrong picture of what it meant to be a shepherd back in those days. We often think of the pictures of, you know, a young shepherd boy lounging under the shade of a tree with his harp while the sheep are peacefully gathered around this green pasture. And, and that's our image of what it means to be a shepherd. But that was not the, the reality in that time. Uh, the land of Israel was not especially fertile. It wasn't like Egypt where you had the Nile River and crops just grew in abundance. Uh, it was a bit more sparse. It was more wilderness. And so for you to have a large flock of animals, in order to feed them, you had to constantly move them to different grazing lands. So shepherds would, would wander many miles to take their sheep to places to feed them. And in the traveling, there was many dangers. You'd go through rough parts of wilderness. You'd go through mountains to get to these pastures. And so there was many risks to the health and safety of your sheep, including wild animals who would take the opportunity to kill a sheep. Or you would have a sheep that strays off from the herd and gets lost out in the wilderness. So shepherds had to be very vigilant with their sheep. They had to know what dangers were ahead. They had to know where their sheep were and the, the care of their sheep. They had to know if there was a cut that could get infected. They had to know the health of each of their sheep. And they had to always be on the lookout for predators who were coming after them. Not only was there a need for vigilance, but there was a need for selflessness in shepherds. Uh, they would often have to camp out for many days in a pasture while the, the sheep would graze down that area. And in that part of the, the world, uh, it can get very, very hot during the daytime. But at night, it can drop to near freezing. 
And so these shepherds were out exposed to the elements, exposed to the wind, rain, whatever happened. They were out there with their sheep. And they had to be vigilant all through the night for being on the lookout for predators who might sneak in under the cover of darkness. And so it was not a weak man who became a shepherd. These were, these were vigilant men. These were hardy men. So they made for the perfect picture of leadership. You wanted in your leaders people who were aware of the potential dangers to you, who had the foresight to know where the pitfalls were and to help you avoid them. And you wanted a leader who was selfless in his care of you. So that is why the shepherds here, or the, the leaders here are being compared to shepherds. But we see that it's being used almost ironically because they are the furthest thing from what a shepherd should be. And so we see in this chapter that the shepherds that God had placed over Israel had been unfaithful to their task. Now God was promising that he was going to be the good shepherd who was going to draw near to his people. And we see that when he draws near, there's three things that happen. We see that the shepherd comes to judge, the shepherd comes to redeem, and the shepherd comes to bring peace. So let's look at the first of these. The shepherd comes to judge. We see right off the bat the, this rebuke to the, the shepherds of Israel, and we see in verse 2, he says, All oh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Now, if you had a, a wealthy shepherd, it wasn't uncommon if they had large flocks, you couldn't take all of your sheep to one grazing area. There just wasn't enough grass. So what you would do is you would hire under shepherds. And these under shepherds would enter into contract with you. So you'd say, okay, you're going to take these 200 sheep and you're going to head east with them and you're going to find grazing land there. And you're going to take care of these sheep as if they were your own. And in a year, you're going to bring them back and I'm going to get a portion of all the wool. I get a portion of all the milk that they produce. I get a portion of their offspring. And then I make it a contract for your work of watching over them. You will also get a portion. So the under shepherds would get a share of the wool. They get a share of the cheese that was made from the sheep. But here we see God rebuking his under shepherds, those he's entrusted with his flock. He says, you've been taking all of it. You're clothing yourselves in the wool. You're getting fat off of the cheese. You're slaughtering my sheep to feed yourself, but you're not taking care of them. You do not care that these are my sheep. And so it's the indignation of the true shepherd coming and finding, finding his hired hands have been abusing his flock. And so he, he gives this, this uh, chilling rebuke. Uh, look with me at verse 7. It says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. There is no more chilling words that you could hear from the mouth of God than I am against you. I have turned against you. You are my enemy and my full wrath, my judgment is now coming against you. That is how serious the Lord has taken their breach in their leadership. 
in the way that they have made the people of Israel to stray from the covenant that God had set with them. He says, I am now your enemy. You were once my hired servants. Now you are my enemies and I will deal with you. Growing up, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 18 gives us a, a picture of this, this kind of anger from the Lord and what it means for the Lord to be against us. Turn with me to Psalm 18. In this passage, this is a psalm of David who's crying out to the Lord because he's, he's being persecuted. He's seen all this wrong done and it seems like the enemies are prospering. And so he, he calls out to God. And in this psalm, David gives a picture of God's response. So look with me, starting at verse 6. This is what he says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering. His canopy around him thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils." Growing up, my dad had this blue recliner that he would sit in in the evening time, and he'd, he'd sit there and read. And uh, there was often times we'd be back playing in our rooms, and as siblings do, you know, fights would break out, and you'd hear this terrifying sound. Clunk. You knew dad had just gotten up out of the recliner, and you knew he was coming to deal with his children. And it was a sound to fill his misbehaving offspring with terror because you knew dad was not going to sit down again until punishment had been dealt out. That is the image that we see here in Psalm 18. This is how David says God responds to the oppression of his people, how he responds to sin. The Lord does not sit idly by on his throne. He rises from his throne. And once he's on his feet, there is no sitting down again until he has dealt with sin, until his judgment has been fulfilled. And so that is the kind of judgment that we see being brought to the, the shepherds of Israel. Because they have forsaken the covenant, God says, I am coming against you. But it's not just for them that we see judgment. We see later on in verse 17 where God says He's going to judge between the sheep and the sheep. So look with me, starting in verse 17. He says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? So the Lord is not only angry at the leadership of Israel, He's angry at the people of Israel for the way that they have abused what the leadership is doing. There are some in Israel that were not oppressed by this wicked leadership. 
And yet, rather than using their good fortune to minister to their neighbor, they sought to further themselves by further building upon those oppressions. They sought to gain their, for, their, for themselves. They sought their own ends over the love and compassion for their neighbors in hardship. So God says, I am against you as well. You sheep who should have known better. You sheep who should have had compassion. I am coming to pour out judgment on you as well for your complicity in this. We can easily believe in our world as we look at the the sin around us, the brokenness, the abuse of power. It's very easy to say, where's God in all of this? Doesn't God care the suffering that I'm experiencing? Doesn't He care about my neighbor and their hardship? Where is God in the midst of our suffering? Psalm 73, the the psalmist Asaph is contemplating this, and he's bemoaning throughout the psalm that the wicked seem to go unpunished. Everything they do just seems to flourish. They're, They're gaining things through wicked means, and God's not taking it away from them. And so he's going, where's the justice? Where do we see God in all of this? In verse 16 and 17, we see the psalmist make a, a shift. He, changes, he turns a corner here. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. By drawing near to the presence of God, it made sense to him that wickedness does not go unpunished, that sin does not go undealt with. And so he sees a hope that there is going to be justice. No one can escape God's sight. We are naked and exposed to the eyes of him before whom we must give an account. So the shepherd comes close to judge, but it does not end there. We see also that the shepherd comes to redeem. Look with me again at verse 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." So the Lord makes a remarkable promise to his people here. He says, you have long been at the abuse of your leaders. But he says, now I myself am coming to be your shepherd. I am coming down to care for you. And we see in here, there's this direct contrast to everything he just said was, was true about the shepherds. He's saying, this is going to be completely different. There's direct parallel with all of the shortcomings of the shepherds. The shepherds did not feed his sheep, but the Lord says, I'm going to feed them on the mountains of their homeland. They allowed the sheep to be scattered, but the Lord says, I'm going to gather them back up again. They did not strengthen the weak. The Lord says, I will give strength to the weak. They did not heal the sick or the injured. The Lord says, I will bind up their wounds. 
They allowed the sheep to be prey, but the Lord says, I will destroy those who've gotten fat and strong by oppressing my sheep. He is a direct contrast to the failures of the shepherds that have gone before. He says, no, now you will know the good shepherd. Now I will draw near and save you from what you have suffered at their hands. Perhaps this morning, some of you are feeling lost. Maybe some of you are feeling exposed and unprotected, easy prey. Or maybe you're feeling injured this morning, whether that be physically or emotionally or mentally. You just have wounds and you don't know how God is going to heal them. Maybe you just feel the oppression of life on you this morning and you feel like it's more than you're able to bear. There's just too many things going on that are outside of your control and you feel completely at their mercy. Maybe you're here this morning, you just feel hungry. You want more from your relationship with God. You want more from your life. And you say, I just feel empty. I feel like there's a longing in me that hasn't been satisfied. Take heart. The Lord has drawn near to you that you might be healed, that you might find rest. You might find strength and peace for the longings of your soul. The Lord has come to you. We see this in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, who emptied himself of the glory that he was deserving, that he might come into a broken, sin-sick world, that he might suffer so that we might be redeemed from the suffering, so that we might have freedom. We see in Luke's gospel, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As a good shepherd who's seeking out his scattered sheep. So the Lord comes and seeks for each one of us. And this leads us into our final point, that the shepherd comes to bring peace. Look with me again at the end of this chapter, starting in verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and all the places around them a hill a blessing. And I will send down showers of blessing in their season. They shall be showers of blessing, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid." And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. This passage, Ezekiel is reminiscing of the covenantal promises that God laid out in the book of Leviticus. Uh, And we see in Leviticus, God gives his law to the people. If you are to approach a holy and righteous God, if I am to dwell in your midst, here is how you ought to, this is how you must live. This is how you must approach me for me to draw near to you without my presence consuming you. And so at the end of the book of Leviticus, God gives a blessing and a curse. He says, this is what will happen if you follow my law. You will be blessed in these ways. And if you do not, here's the curses that will be brought upon you. Up until now in Ezekiel, we have seen the cursing of God coming upon Israel. We have seen his judgment being poured out on their idolatry, their faithlessness. And yet here we see a reflection 
of the blessing. Let me read for you Leviticus 26, verses 3 through 13. This is the blessing God promises. And see if you don't see the parallel between this and what Ezekiel is promising here. Leviticus 26 says, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and you shall fall, they shall fall before your sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And I will turn to you, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat of old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and have made you walk erect. So Ezekiel is directly pulling on this language and he says, the blessing that you guys forfeited because of your faithlessness to the covenant, God is now going to restore through a new covenant. He is going to make a new covenant of peace with you. And this one's not going to be broken. There is no curses tied to this new covenant. There is only the blessing. There is only the peace. The people that God led out of slavery from Egypt when he broke the yoke of their bondage, he's promising now I will once again lead you out of slavery. This time I will lead you out of Babylon and I will break the yoke that's on you and I will bring you back to the promised land and I will have a new covenant with you, a covenant of peace. And what an amazing thing we see in verse 30 here. That phrase that I told you appears over 70 times in Ezekiel. Then they shall know I am the Lord. This phrase is often associated with his his, uh, impending judgment. I'm going to bring this judgment so that they will know that I am the Lord. But listen to how he says it in verse 30. And then they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people. The phrase of condemnation and judgment has now become the phrase of blessing and peace. They shall know that I am the Lord with them because they shall experience the peace and the care and the love that I have for them. What a remarkable transformation that God is bringing about. How does this transformation happen? How does God go from being ready to pour out all his wrath and his judgment on the people of Israel to saying, I am going to restore you to perfect blessing, to perfect peace. How can he do that? We see the answer to that in verses 23 and 24 of this chapter. It says, I will set over them one shepherd, my shepherd David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. David was held up all throughout the Old Testament as the ideal king. He was the king that God came to and said, I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your line. He was the one that had God's favor. He was the one called a man after God's own heart. He was the ideal of the king. 
But we know that David was flawed and sinful. We know that he failed. We know he didn't end well. And yet this picture is picked up throughout the rest of the New Testament where God keeps promising there's another king coming. There's a better king. A king like David, but without his faults. He's coming. And so Ezekiel's taking that picture and he says, that coming king, this coming David that's coming, he's the one that will rule over us. And he's the one that will usher in this peace. When we look at that promise, it brings such new weight to Jesus' words in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. The promises that God gave Israel in Ezekiel 34 are fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, God who came and drew near to us and dwelt among us, that he might gather his sheep to himself, that he might bring healing, that he might bring refreshment, that he might feed us in his flock and rule over us in peace forever. This was fulfilled in Christ. What do we do with a passage like Ezekiel 34? I don't think it's too hard to put ourselves in the shoes of Israel, to see ourselves as those that have strayed from God. Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And so we can see in the hardness of Israel's heart, the tendency of our own hearts to say, it is so easy to walk away from God. It's so easy to stray from what he has called me to. So with that in mind, there's three things that I would encourage us to reflect on from this passage. The first is the warning against the leaders here, that we would take that to heart. I know in this church, uh, there's probably many here that have some form of leadership, whether it be here in the church or in your family or in your workplace or with your children. There are many leaders amongst us. This is a sober calling from God. We know from Romans 13, Paul says that there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. There has never been a leader that God has not placed in the position of leadership. And so if that's you this morning, if you are in a place of leadership, may you be watchful over your leadership. May you reflect on how does my leadership draw people back to the person of Christ? How does my leadership point people to God and not drive them away from it. We have great accountability as leaders before God. And this is why James tells us not many of you should seek to be leaders. It's not something to be entered in lightly. It's something that comes with a sobering weight of the authority of God over us. As Hebrew warns, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So watch yourself, leaders. Watch how you are leading and continue to lean on God for your leadership. The second thing we can pull from this passage is the comfort that can be drawn from the knowledge that God draws near to us in our suffering. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy places, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, 
to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contract. The God who inhabits heaven, who is enthroned above the angels, is the same one who enters into our suffering, who draws near to us when we are in pain. When we don't understand, God, what are you doing? He draws near to us in that brokenness. And we can feel in the guilt of our, our sin and our shame and our brokenness and say, I don't, I don't know how God could look on me and bear what he sees. I'm, I'm just so far gone. I just have so much sin. I've fallen again and again. How can God look at me with anything but judgment and anger? But we see God is not repulsed by our neediness. Matthew 9.36 tells us that when Jesus is looking on the crowds that are coming to hear the gospel, it says he was moved by compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. That is how God sees us. Not as a disappointed father that can't believe we didn't get it together, that we just keep failing. How dare we? No, he looks at our brokenness with compassion, with a longing to draw us near to himself and to heal us by his grace. So if you are feeling a reluctance to come to God this morning, I would invite you with boldness to draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find the help that you are seeking. Finally, the last thing this passage should stir us up for is the great hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the great inheritance that we have who are in Christ, that this covenant of peace has been made with us. And there is coming a day where God will wipe away all sorrow. He will wipe away all sin and we will dwell with God forever in perfect peace. Peter reflects on this promise in this way. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. It is undefiled. It cannot be corrupted. And it's unfading. It only gets sweeter with time. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just a few minutes, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this is a reminder to us of the sweetness that we have, that God drew near to us through the suffering of Christ so that we might dwell with God, that he might be God amongst us. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ this morning, then the good shepherd has drawn near to you that you may have peace forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, which you have poured out in abundance through Christ the good shepherd who has given his life for the sheep. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that feel like you are far off from them this morning. Lord, we know that there can be spiritual dryness in our lives or times of sorrow and suffering that makes us ask, where is God in the midst of this? Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them this morning, that your spirit would be felt in their lives, that they would cling to these promises. You have not forsaken us. You are coming to gather the scattered and the lost. You are coming to seek and to save those who are hurting. So Lord, I pray that you give that comfort this morning. And Lord, if there are those here this morning that recognize they do not yet have you as their good shepherd, they are still 
under the wrath of God. They are still in that place of judgment. Lord, would they take seriously these warnings that we have looked at this morning and say, I cannot stand before the anger of God. I cannot stand to hear the words, I am against you. And Lord, that they might seek the mercy and compassion that you so freely offer to any who would repent and turn to you. And so Lord, I pray you do that work this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.